Welcome to Porsche Pattern with Bracken Helms, the show where we hear Bracken and his distinguished guests from the Porsche community patter on about Porsches and all things automotive. Porsche Patter is sponsored by Circuit 64. Circuit 64 creates authentic automotive apparel made for like-minded automotive enthusiasts. The links for Circuit 64 are in the show notes. Okay, let's get to it. Okay, more blabber with Bill Patton. In this one, he talks about Bruce Anderson, tells a story about Derek Bell and Janis Joplin, and I think maybe a few other people. All right, here we go. More blabber from Crazy Bill Patton. Let's go into another name. What about Bruce Anderson? I would consider Bruce to be one of my best friends on earth over the course of time that I knew him. Next to me, of course. Huh? Nothing. What? I said next to me, of course. I was joking. Let's get, get let's get oh. to getting. Yeah, well, because Bruce and I bonded in other ways. Uh, we were both we both liked cats, which is kind of silly, but we were major major jazz fans to the extent that we would test each other's knowledge, and we would. I bet you I went so, to. So, so I called Clark the other day because, and I dropped your name, and the first thing, like I told him, well, I'll just come up there and talk to you. But he would not let me off the phone. The minute I said, Bill Patton, he says, okay, so we're at this jazz festival one day. I'm like, God, I've already heard this from Bill like nine times. Well, so what did he tell you? With your little date. You might as well tell a story now. You mean about the girl with the hair? <laughs> He's just like, this girl was like 19 and he was already like 50 at the time. And she's dressed in like a bright color or something. And. He told that story? Yeah. Did he tell it the same way I did? It was pretty accurate. Probably not so the I same. So I don't remember Clark being there until now. Because there were 10 or 12 PCA people. Well, oh, so let me back up to where I was. Bruce and I and Stephanie and whoever I was with went, we probably did 100 concerts together. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And we would surprise each other. I'd say, hey, show up at so-and-so, and he'd show up, and it would be Bobby McFerrin. And I'd show up, and it would be somebody that, some huge star that this was the one and only time you were ever going to get to see them. And we would, go to, we would go to events that were the first time that that person ever played publicly. You know, I mean, like, really cool stuff. Circumventing PCA... Bruce and Stephanie and I and whoever I was with at the time did tons and tons of concerts all over the Bay Area, all over the state. And then, you know, and we played gags on each other. Bruce played some immense gags on me that are like legendary that I've written about in magazines. But the one you're talking about, you want me to tell that story? Yeah. Uh, we were gonna. We had tickets to see the very last Miles Davis concert ever. We didn't know that at the time. He died shortly after the concert, and it was at the Mountain Winery. So uh, we recruited a bunch of people to go, probably 10, 12, maybe 15 people. And in the meantime, we bought them like three months early. In the meantime, I break up with my girlfriend. So I call all the guys and say, I'm not going to be going to the concert. Who wants the tickets? And 
see if you can find somebody else to go, and nobody can. And so I took her to my office one day, and I said, does anybody want these tickets? And she said, I'll take them. And they were not for seat 1A or 1B or anything like that. They were open seating. So if you wanted to, you could sit on the other side of the stadium. And it wasn't like I was going to put her in to mingle with my PCA people. And they were going to go, who in the hell is she? We could sit anywhere. So, so she says, I'll take them. So she comes back the next day and she says, uh, my boyfriend doesn't want to go. So she gives me the tickets back and she said, but I'll go with you. And I thought, how are you going to do that with a boyfriend? And she says, he doesn't care. You're an old man. And, and she was kidding, but she was also being truthful. Well, the story about this girl is she's 19 and she's gorgeous. She's a total knockout. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman. And in more ways than one, she has stuff that you see very, very rarely. But she was also wacko crazy. And she, her hair would change daily. She would be purple one day and green the next and what have you. And she wore outrageous clothing that the best and worst thing I could say about her clothing at the same time was it showed off her other stuff that she had besides beauty. And it was short, short, short. And this was during a period of time of short, short, short. She also wore immense heels. Like, she looked like a giraffe sometimes. I didn't think about this too too, too carefully until we walked into the stadium. Now, I've spent an hour with her driving from wherever we were to the winery. And we parked the car and we're walking in. And it suddenly dawned on me that I'm with a 19-year-old woman that is going to attract a lot of attention. When we walk in that gate, she's already been whistled at 40 times on the way up the, the road and had a bunch of comments, and I'm going, oh, my God, I didn't count on this. And I was near 50 at the time. I was 45. You love attention anyway, though. Well, I know, but so what? And But I didn't want this much attention, and I didn't want attention that could be interpreted as that kind of attention. So I'm, I'm, I'm like walking behind her and I'm going, oh my God, what do I do now? So I decided right away not to go where the other people went. And we agreed where we were going to meet. And it was going to be on the far right-hand side, as close to the stage and as high up as we could get. So my theory is when we walk in the gate, they're not going to see me that far away. It's like, you know, like 40 or 50 yards away. I'm going to just skedaddle into the stands on the same side of the stadium, but way down at this end instead of way up at that end. So we walk through the gate, and I hear 10 voices in unison. And I went, oh, shit, they saw me. Well, I'm caught, right? And I don't know what to do. And I'm trying to decide whether I should pretend I didn't hear them, except I blew it and I looked up. When they said it, I went and I looked up and I saw arms waving. So I got to go face the music. So we're going up the stairs and Bracken, it's the craziest thing. We're going up the stairs and I swear to God that every man sitting at the end of that thing, as soon as she would go by, he'd turn around and look at her all the way up those stairs. I mean, there were 40 stairs, and I swear to God, 40 men turned around 
and looked and theoretically trying to look up her skirt. So I don't know. I'm beside myself, man. I don't know what to do. I mean, I, the attention that's already been attracted is just too much for me. So Bruce is sitting in the end spot and the, and the rest of them are all together on, I think we were in two rows so that we could talk over each other's shoulders and everything. As I pass Bruce, he goes, where'd you get the parrot? Because she's got lime and purple hair, lime and purple shoes, bright red skirt. She's got, I mean, she's wearing every color in nature and they're all mixed and she looked like a parrot. And when he said, where'd you get the parrot? I just started cracking up. I couldn't help it. So, so I went and sat out. So now the funny thing about this is I'd seen her dress radically before, but I'd never seen her dress that radically. Her shoes were like, um, I don't know how to describe them. They were blood red, metallic. Okay, so Miles comes out on the stage and he's dressed just exactly the way she is. And he's got a blood red metallic trumpet. I'd never seen Miles dressed like that before. And I'd never ever, I've seen him dozens of times, I'd never seen a blood red metallic looking trumpet. Well, what happened was she looked him up and figured out what he wore and looked at his trumpet and decided to dress just like Miles Davis, which I wish she hadn't, or I wish she'd have explained it, you know, so that I would know why she was more radical than she usually was. She couldn't dress like that in the office. I mean, she did, but it had to be a little bit tamer. So anyway, I went through tons of crap over that for years. Proven by the fact that Clark still remembers it even now. But when Bruce when Bruce said, where'd you get the parrot? Oh my God, I just, it was all I could do is keep standing up. It was nuts. Another Bruce story is he was judging my speedster in a concord. He got in it. And I'm watching him do the judge. You have to stand there and watch him do your car so they can show you what's wrong and all that. So he flips up the front or the passenger seat and he reaches down and he pulls a leaf from a tree. Out from, and he holds it up and he nods like this and he goes, means it's going to cost me two points. And he throws the leaf on the ground. So then he looks at me again and he goes down and he puts his arm hand into the under the seat again and he pulls out a five dollar bill and he holds it up and he goes, because it's gonna cost me ten dollars for the five dollar bill, because he thinks I'm trying to bribe him. So so that's another Bruce story. What about isn't he the one that gave you the name tag? Oh yeah. He comes up to me at a dinner meeting. I, you know, I used to have different date every night for these Porsche Club things. So one night he comes up and he takes my, he, he, he motions for me to put my hand out. So I put it out and he takes and he crunches something into my hand. And then he takes my other hand, covers up. So I've got the, whatever it is, is crunched between my two palms. And then he says, open it. And so I open it and it's a name badge and it says Bill's date. And I was there with a new date, and so I put it on her, and the whole room just laughed. Bill's date. I still have that name badge. I still own that. It's a, it's a treasure, and I, I keep. Okay, you got any stories about Jerry Woods? 
I don't. I don't know that I. Yes, I do. I have one story about Jerry Woods that he may not appreciate my telling, and if he denies it, I don't, I'm okay with him denying it. So one day I'm at Garrison's and I'm in the office, and all of a sudden there's a huge commotion out in the garage part, and people are hollering and turn off the power and do this and grab it and and all kind. Have I told you this? No. All sorts of crazy, wacky stuff is going on and. Everybody's rushing from the office out into the into the car area. And what had happened was Jerry had lost control of a pneumatic hose. And it was running around the garage on its own power, slapping stuff, cars, the wall, the floor. And it's banging up against cars. And it's not doing, it's not going bang, bang, bang. But as it goes around, it, it, it you know, it would hit a lift and then it would climb up and it would hit a car and they're all trying to get a hold of it and no, and nobody could, and then nobody could turn off the power. And finally somebody figured out how to do it. But theoretically it was Jerry who let it get, go wild. It was the damnedest thing. And I was their insurance broker. So my, their insurance company had to pay for the damage on some of those cars. Isn't that wacky? Yeah. Okay, next person. What about Brian Redmond? I can't tell you too much about Brian Redmond. He was a nice guy, you know, another Englishman, and, you know, very, you know, these race car drivers are mostly very sociable. The only one that wasn't was the one we talked about earlier. But I don't know much about Redmond. I can't tell you much about him. What about Stromland? German guy, incredible driver. Never should have gone back to racing. He died in the car, and what a tragedy. So, he was with them in 79 for the Le Mans, but, I mean, did he race with them a bunch or just a couple times? You know, I don't think he ran any of the American races. I think he only ran Le Mans. I don't think he was here for Daytona and Sebring, but I don't know. The guy that would know all that is... Jerry or Martin Raffoff or... Well, I know when he died, he was at Riverside. And I know most of the guys that you know that I've talked to were there that day. He was on a different team or he was on he was on Fitzpatrick's team, I guess, in a Andile car. That was that was the day Jerry Woods won that day. But he says, you know, it was bittersweet. We won. But so what can you tell me about Derek Bell? Well, first of all, what story do you have? First of all, he's a great race car driver and he's a lot of fun. And I had met Derek Bell as a natural course because I was with a famous Porsche racing team and he was at least part of the time a Porsche driver. And he was in the barber pits and, and you know, I started a conversation with him and it kind of went from there. Because I'm one of those guys that just hunts down people to mess with and bond with and stuff like that and so by the time he left our pits we were minor compadres so i was i was i had a i had days off my job was dur during the race and looking after paul new and if we haven't said so already this is during le mans oh yeah during the 79 le mans i think it was 79 okay well anyway one of the two that you went to there were five wives of crew members, and they were all PCA members and what have you, and therefore they were all friends of mine. Right. 
because I didn't have anything to do during the day. I didn't have a tech job or I wasn't tuning race cars or polishing tires or anything. I went with the women on the tours of all the all the French castles. And we, we got up at nine o'clock in the morning, had a rented car, had six of us in the car and just went out all over the countryside visiting wineries and castles. It was totally cool. But there was a joke that went with it. And the joke was that I was one man with five women. And how do you account for that? So the, the, the joke was mostly in the team. But Derek Bell was there when we departed the hotel. And he saw me getting into the back seat of the car in the middle with women on each side and two women in the front. And he made a big joke about it. Well, later that day, we stopped for lunch in some little French cafe in some teeny tiny town. And we were in a booth in the back corner and Derek Bell comes rushing in and he spots me back in the corner and he says, he says, I have two women and I need help. Are you, are you free? And I said, Derek, wait a minute. No, I've got five. Can you help me? That was the joke. And he just took off. Well, he, I think he was joking to begin with. He knew I was, he knew I was there with five women. And he probably saw the rent-a-car outside. And he was coming in there to eat because it was a famous place. So who knows if he even really had two women? That's the point. His love was in the person that he really did. Like, hey, I need well, some help. Okay, now... Let, let's, maybe. <laughs> let's look at Derek Bell and Jurgen Barth and all that. And I don't want to stir up any excitement for any of them. But let's face it. These guys are famous race car drivers. They're out of their home country. They're in a racetrack for the biggest race on. So there's a possibility. But that, the main thing was the joke. Exactly. The there's a possibility. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's hear your story about Janis Joplin. Uh. There's a radio shop in Berkeley on Addison Avenue, Frank's Stereo or something like that. They were one of my clients. <clears throat> and so naturally, I had all my radios done there. And that was often because I was buying cars left and right. And so one day I went into Fra oh, Frank's of Berkeley was the name of the place. So I went into Frank's of Berkeley and there's this goofy car in there and it was Joplin's car. And but you didn't know. Huh? But you didn't know. No, I didn't know what that car was. And uh, so I said, well, you know, but I'm a Porsche nut. And so I, and, and I liked the car. I, I thought it was really cool. As you well know, because I did something like it years later. So I went in and uh, Frank said, did you come to see this car? And I said, no, I came to have you install a new, I got another car. And so I'm here for an installation. And he says, Oh, I thought you might have heard that Janice's car was here. Janice who? Janice Joplin. She didn't come back, but her brother had the car there. And <clears throat> so he took me for a ride, and I even got to drive it. Drove that car. I actually drove that car, which is no big deal because it was just a 356. But the fact that it was Janice Joplin's 356, and it was in there to have a stereo put in it right after that paint was done, so you didn't actually see her, though. Hmm. 
How do you know all this stuff? Oh, I told you this before? Yeah, you're a blabber. Oh, my God. I should get paid for this. Shouldn't I get paid for this? What do you pay? I'm not paying you nothing. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, comment, like, and share with your friends. Feel free to send questions or suggestions to the email in the description of the show. Special thanks to our sponsor, Circuit 64. Goodbye for now. We hope we can get together again for our next episode. Now get out there and enjoy the cars and the people.